You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Scott McNamara. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning, everybody. We all doing good? Come on, God is good. Why don't we greet someone next to you, tell them how much Jesus loves them. Let's get some friendly feeling going on in this place. Okay. I do have a prop which is going to be coming to you guys any minute, I believe. If it's not, don't worry because I have a spare. So uh, this is real life preaching. Okay, so I do have a little spare here. So Jeffrey, don't worry, bro. I'm well prepared. I've stolen my wife's apples. So here we go. Okay, here we go. I've got one here. Here we go. Look at this. Okay, so I'm going to, I like visuals, you know, like I was telling the guys in the first service, uh, my wife's not here, so I I had a comment for her, but she wasn't here. I'm into visuals, which is why I married my wife, is what what I was saying. uh, I was trying to get in the good books, but she wasn't here, so so there you have it. Okay, but first, before my visual demonstration, we're going to pray, because praying is very important, and we want the Holy Spirit to be in the middle of what we're doing, so I'm glad you guys are here. God is good, and uh, wherever we meet in his presence, he meets us there and moves, yeah? So I'm expecting him to move. So let's come with expectancy. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Lord, that you don't want us to just meet together for a holy huddle, but you want us to meet and to be inspired by you, to be stirred by you and be shaken by you. So we give you permission to stir and shake us this morning. We ask you, Lord, would you move us? Would you stir us? Would you change our hearts, Lord, so that we leave this place different to the way we came in? Without you, without your presence, without your spirit, Lord, we, uh, we can't do this thing. We can't do this Christian walk. We need you, Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I ask you just to inspire us this morning and help us to see what is available and the potential we have as followers of Christ. We love you, Jesus. Give you all the glory and all the praise. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay. So, for those who don't know that what I do, apart from uh, have the privilege of working uh, on staff at the Promised Church. I also have a ministry called Jesus at the Door. And one of the key things in Jesus at the Door revolves around an apple. One of the key fundamental principles surrounds an apple. I didn't make it up. It was the Lord's idea and the Lord's wisdom. But I'm going to share it with you for those who don't know. So I began as a street evangelist in 2014. And my job from my pastor was to stand on the street every day, all day, and talk to strangers about Jesus. Now, at that time, for me now, that sounds like exciting, but at the time, it petrified me because I felt very out of my depth, you know? So I stepped into it and I'm very nervous and I'm like, man, what is, how do you even get somebody who's a stranger to accept the Lord? How does that whole thing work? I don't even know. It seems, you know, a bit out of, above my pay grade kind of thing. So I stepped out in faith and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he showed me that he needed to remove all the pressure from me. Because if you try and share the gospel with an individual or even just tell them, you know, even your testimony, whatever. If you do that and you feel pressure, you're not going to be very good at it. Because what pressure does, it disables you and it turns you into someone that's not you. You know, when you're with your friends or your family, you're just kind of chilling out and you're relaxed. Uh, Let me put it this way. I was on the phone with uh, 
with, with an individual who's very well known. Um, well, let me just say his name, uh, Daniel Kalenda. And I was on the phone with him a couple of weeks ago. We had a 30-minute phone call. And he's someone I look up to in the faith, someone I really admire, uh, Reinhard Bonnke, um, um, whose ministry he, he, uh, he runs, really kind of marks me as a young Christian. So we had this 30-minute phone call. And I'm like blubbering and fumbling around like an idiot. I'm like, you know, this kind of thing a little bit, you know, because I was trying to get across my, my point and, and, you know, I was a little bit nervous in the whole thing. And I'm like, what am I doing? And then I had a phone call immediately after with a friend of mine and I'm like flowing and, and moving and we're talking about some of the similar things. And, and it made me realize just sometimes, you know, we, we kind of get in the way. And, uh, and we get in the way of what God wants to do instead of just like letting the spirit flow. And, and I think that was a moment for me where I'm like maybe just trying to get in the way too much, you know. Thankfully, it was okay and it went well. But what we need to do is we need to get to a point where we can be ourselves. Because when we're ourselves, people are going to like us. You know, you guys are nice. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're nice. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're nicer. You know, we're nice people, Yeah. So if you can be yourself, then people are going to like you. It's only when you turn into Christian robot mode that, that you go a bit weird. You know, can I tell you about Jesus? He died on the cross. And you look kind of like some kind of strange person. And they're like, get away from me, man. But if you can just be yourself, then it's, it's cool. People like you. My friend Eli, who's here, we met in the gym. We met in the Alley Fitness in Vancouver gym. I just went over to him and began to share about Jesus with him. And it wasn't weird because for me, I know now that just be yourself. And even if Eli didn't want to respond, I'm like, well, at least I can just be myself and just, you know, show him some love and show him uh, Jesus' love. And, and thankfully, I didn't come across too weird and, uh, and uh, we became friends and, and God is good. But if we can be ourselves, everything will change. So the Holy Spirit needed me to shift my mentality and needed me to get all that pressure off. And this is how he did it. The Lord spoke to me, he said this. He said, Scott, look at all these people. Just imagine they are like apples on a tree. And when you share, I'll shake. So I had this revelation moment. I had this picture moment. I know some of you guys have have heard this before, but for those who haven't, I want to share it. You share and I'll shake. For me, honestly, it shifted everything in my life. As, an, as a disciple, as an evangelist, wanting to be an evangelist, it changed it all because I understood in that moment that evangelism was about partnership. And I didn't know it before that. I thought it was about how good I was, you know, how many books I could read, how many documentaries I could watch, how many great teachers I sat under, how many podcasts I listened to, you know, how much I could steal from other people would make me really good or, or really bad or whatever. I didn't understand that all I had to do was come with whatever I had and, and bring it as an offering and say, God, hey, whatever you've given me, I'll give it back to you in partnership. So I began to share, the Holy Spirit began to shake, and I began to catch apples as they fell. And in the town where I lived, we saw thousands of apples fall, and we had experienced the move of God from 2014 to 2000, um, whatever, three years after that is. And uh, it was very powerful. I'm not good at math. (laughs) But three years of power, three years of the power of God, and it was an incredible time where the Holy Spirit poured out His power. But I realized, man, in this moment, I'm seeing all these lives change. There was a young guy called Tommy. I led to the Lord on the streets in, in right in the beginning in the first few months. He uh, just got out of prison. And um, he was like, you know, 22, young guy, 22, 23. He had two kids. His kids were due to, be, uh, due to go into adoption. They'd been in the foster care system for a few years. The mother was a drug addict. Just a whole mess. He came to Jesus with his sister. I met him and his sister on the street. Both accepted the Lord. He began to be part of our new believers group. I began to disciple him. And Tommy's desire from day one was, I want my kids back. 
two kids, a beautiful uh, um, son and daughter. I want my kids back. But it was almost impossible. They'd like been in the foster system. They had um, potential adoptive parents that they lived with. I mean, it was all set in stone. But Jesus... And he's like, man, I just want my kids back. And we worked with him. And, and Tommy grew so quickly and so strong. And it was unbelievable, an unbelievable miracle. I'm talking within probably a year and a half, he had his own apartment with his two kids, fully his, in custody. Incredible. Now, I can't do that. You know, I don't know how good you think I am, but I ain't that good. That's my wife. And... Uh, I cannot do that to an individual. I can't change people's lives. I can't work in those ways. But I serve a God who can do that and more in abundance. His name is Jesus. Amen. So I serve him. So all he asks me to do is just to do my part. Yeah. Well, what is my part? My part is to be faithful with what he has given me to steward. So I began to do that and I began to blow my mind because I was like, man, God, you're making me look really good. Like, you know, like you're, doing all, you're doing everything and you're making me look really good. And all I feel is that when I get, when I share the gospel, I feel it's like I get front row seats to watch the Holy Spirit do what he does. And I'm in awe as much still today as what the Holy Spirit does as I am like six years ago. Because it never gets old, his power at work. But I don't feel that it's a fair deal. What I bring to the table Compared to what he brings to the table, I don't think it's very fair. The Holy Spirit's doing all the work, but he allows me in his kindness to be involved. I mean, isn't that incredible? You see, the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit changes lives. Because he is power. That's who he is. In his essence, he is power. That's just who he is. If you, want, if you get to know Jesus, well, you get to know that he is the personification of power. So you're just meeting power, you're meeting love, you're meeting all these things. So this is how it began for me. And I'm going to share another analogy of that, how that kind of works. Okay, so, uh, so here's an apple. I was going to say here's one I prepared earlier, but Jeffrey cleared my table, so, or Joel, so we don't have that one I prepared earlier. But before I, I cut my apple open, I want to read you this quote here. Do we have an apple with the quote? Okay, we don't. Okay, just imagine an apple in your mind right now. Okay, and this is what the quote says. It says this. Though you can easily count the seeds of an apple, it's impossible to count the apples in a seed. So you can count the seeds in an apple, but it's impossible to count the apples in a seed. And this is what I'm going to do for you right now. I'm going to demonstrate this, okay? Here's my apple. And I'm going to pop out a few seeds. This was an apple that we, uh, my daughter picked by near where we live. It's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of a cheap one. There's only two seeds in it. But anyway, we're going to make do. So there's two seeds. Now, on average, an apple has between one and ten seeds on average. But we're going to say five. Just, let's just meet in the middle. So an apple has five seeds, okay? I'm going to give you some interesting facts about apples right now. Appleology. Here we go. An average apple tree produces about 300 apples. Everyone say 300. Let's say the average apple contains five apple seeds, like we just said. So all things being equal, one apple tree will produce about 1,500 seeds per season. Those 1,500 seeds will then potentially produce 450,000 apples. That's a lot of apples. That's a lot of apple pie you can make right there, yeah? And another 2.25 million seeds 
from those apples. Those 2.25 million seeds will then produce and so on and so forth. I'd like to say I had the answers, but again, I'm not good at math, yeah? But you can imagine, or you can get out your calculator, or Pastor Aaron, he can just have a chat with him and he'll do it in a second, because uh, he's good with numbers. So, one seed from one apple has produced some 2.25 million more seeds. And that's a lot of apples, as we just read, come from those seeds. Isn't that incredible? So we can count the seeds in the apple, but we can't count the apples that come from these seeds. Because the number is just too vast. We've all been given seeds. We've all been given seeds in which we can invest, and in which we can plant, and which we can steward. But if we don't steward those seeds, nothing's going to happen. You see, apple trees, they take about five years to, to grow. But it begins from a little seed in the ground that somebody has planted. There is a partnership between planter and seed. The seed doesn't do it itself, but if the planter will honor the stewardship and he'll put it in good soil, that thing will begin to grow beyond anyone's wildest dreams. You see, what's unbelievable, just like evangelism, we don't bring much to the table. You see this seed here? This seed's very existence, it exists to bear fruit. That is its purpose in life. It doesn't have any other purposes. Its purpose, this tiny little thing, serves and lives in order to bear fruit. Isn't that incredible? In John, 16, John 15 verse 8, we read this scripture here, which is one of my favorite scriptures. John 15 verse 8, we read this. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Do you know why? Because this brings great glory to my Father. So that means that we're not just called these select few individuals to be these fruit bearers. We're all called with the seeds that we've been given to steward them really well and to see a great multiplication. We're all called to do that. And I want to tell you a few individuals who did just that. And I believe that this is available for us. Every single one of us. Our ministry, what we do is we, uh, our kind of tagline, if you like, is to awaken the secret army. That's our dream. Who are the secret army? The secret army are the Christians all around the world, and many in this room, who don't feel that you have what it takes in order to be a fruit bearer. You're like, man, you know, you, you, the guys on the stage, okay, I, I sign off on those guys, they can do it, but not me. I, I don't really have what it takes. You know, many of you have given up on yourself in terms of bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. The devil's even given up on some of you guys. He's like, don't worry about them. They ain't going to do nothing. But you know what we believe? We believe you're God's secret weapon in his secret army for this end time harvest. And we believe God wants to awaken his secret army. He wants to enlist them and call them out with marching orders to go and change America. Amen? Come on. God is going to do it, but it takes a willing party. It takes someone who's going to steward that seed and say, hey, I only have one, but you know what? Maybe one's all I need. I only have a little seed. I don't have much to bring to the table, God, but I'm going to treasure this one and I'm going to make sure that I give it everything I've got so that it grows and it grows and grows. I'm going to introduce to you a man, not physically, 
because he has passed. But his name was Edward Kimball. Has anyone ever heard of Edward Kimball? And if you're a fan of The Fugitive, I'm not talking about a relation of Richard. Have you ever seen that show, The Fugitive? You guys ever see that? If not, you've got to check it out. Great movie. You see it? The Fugitive. Come on. Anyone? Watch TV? Am I just the only unholy person in here? Okay. Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. And what he did in the year 1854, he had a Sunday school class and he decided that what he would do is he would really not only just pray for his kids, but he would go that one step further. You see, we can pray all day long and I'm into praying. I love prayer. I love prayer. But if we pray and don't move, nothing's going to happen. If I want to pray, if I'm praying, Lord, I I really want you to move uh, in in people's lives. You know, when I used to go to the gym, uh, I can't anymore because it's closed. Uh, But when I used to go, I'd be be going, I'd be like, Lord, will you you do something in the gym today? Will you cause me to to meet someone? Will you bear some fruit? Will you help me to be fruitful? And I spoke to a few guys in the gym, led a few guys to the Lord in the gym, uh, and things happened. It was great. Then one day I met Eli. Sorry to keep picking picking on you, Eli, but I'm so glad you're here. You and your beautiful wife. But one day I met Eli and I went over to him and I shared and, and, you know, it was amazing. And then we met a few days later in Starbucks and I got to pray for him. And he decided he wanted to take that step to go all in with Jesus. And it was amazing. And then uh, him and his lovely wife and family came to our church for a while. But because they lived in Vancouver, it was kind of a bit of a mission. And they went to, um, uh, they got plugged into a church in Vancouver and they got baptized uh, and everything. And uh, we're glad to say they're back with us today visiting. And, but it began from just a moment of saying, God, help me to be fruitful. Just in an, in an everyday environment, whether it be the gym, whether it be the grocery store. So I believe we can all do that. For this man, it was a Sunday school class. That was where he was based. He's like, Lord, help me to be fruitful in my Sunday school class. So he didn't just pray, but he acted. And he went in one Saturday afternoon. He went to, in Detroit, to the shoe store, the shoe shop of where a 17-year-old boy worked who was on his, uh, in his Sunday school class. He didn't just pray for the boy. He went to see the boy on a day off. You could call it a day off. Because he was determined to lead every one of these young men in his Sunday school class to the Lord. That was his passion. Now, the kids in those days had to go to Sunday school. It wasn't that they even wanted to. It was kind of like something you have to do as a kid in those days. So he goes in and he stops a young man and he says, look, I know you're working, but man, I just feel like, you know, I feel really concerned for you. Can I, can I chat with you more? So they went downstairs into the basement of the, uh, of the shop where this kid worked. And he subsequently led him to Jesus. Edward Kimball led this young 17-year-old boy to Jesus in the shoe shop in Detroit. You know what that young 17-year-old boy's name was? His name was D.L. Moody. This is D.L. Moody. You guys heard of D.L. Moody? If you haven't, you should have. D.L. Moody went on to become the greatest, one of the greatest evangelists in the world. He shared the gospel with 100 million people. Founded the Moody Bible Institute, the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. A great, great, mighty man of God and hero of the faith came to Jesus through a Sunday school teacher who came with his seed and said, hey, man, maybe I can't change the world for you, God, but I know what I can do. I've got this one seed right here. I've got this one boy right here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to steward it well. D.L. Moody led a young man to the Lord. This young man's name was Wilbur Chapman. You guys probably never heard of Wilbur Chapman. There he is. 
Wilbur Chapman led thousands to Jesus as an evangelist also, following in the footsteps of Moody. He began to do tent revivals like those who'd gone before him. And in one of these revival meetings, it was a day off for a professional baseball player. A famous professional baseball player had a day off. And he strolled into this gathering, this, this revival gathering. And in there, he subsequently met Jesus. This young man's name was Billy Sunday. That's Billy Sunday right there. Billy Sunday was known as the greatest of the tent revivalists, preaching to over 100 million people in 12 years from 1908 to 1920. Billy stands as one of the most significant mass evangelists of this century. Another gentleman called Mordecai Ham was at a revival meeting that Billy Sunday was holding. He came along, same story, he heard the gospel message and his life got changed. This is him here. And I've got to tell you this story because this is really cool. So Mordecai Ham was doing a, a tent revival in Kentucky. And he, while he was there on the second evening, a gang of young men came. And they were drinking and kind of rough around the edges. And they came and they began throwing rocks at the preachers. And Mordecai Ham uh, confronted one of, the, one of the, the gang leaders. And he came and he pulled a knife at the evangelist. And the evangelist said this. He said, you're a coward. I'm going to pray right now that you and your crowd either come to know Jesus or he kills you. It's a strong prayer, huh? The guy had the knife in his face. He said, I'm going to pray that you and your guys, that you either come to Jesus or that you die or that God, God takes you. Within 24 hours, that young man had died. As I often tell people, it's dangerous to mess with God's anointed. The Bible tells us, don't play around with God's anointed. It's dangerous. This young man, as he was at the time, stepped out in faith. And God began to do mighty things for him, through him. God honored this young man's faith. And there was a man who came, would come to accept Jesus through one of his crusades. That would go on to make a footprint in humanity like none other since the Apostle Paul. His name was Billy Graham. You guys have heard of him, for sure. That's one you have heard of. And it was said at Billy Graham's funeral that he made a mark on Christianity like none since the Apostle Paul. But let me tell you the backstory. In May 1934, Billy Graham's father had a prayer meeting at his home with the Christian, Christian businessmen in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this is one of the prayers that were prayed, Billy's father recounted. He said this, that out of, out, of Char, out of Charlotte, the Lord would raise up someone to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. In 1934, this prayer was prayed in Billy Graham's father's home by one of the businessmen. That God would raise up a man who would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Two years later, Billy Graham was 16 and Mordecai Ham had a tent revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. Billy Graham decided to go along with his friend, reluctantly. He said, I don't really want to go along, but his friend got him along. And they went there and they were mocking and they were kind of making fun of the evangelist. And while they were there, they looked around for seats and they couldn't see any seats. So he said to his friend, Billy said to his friend, hey, let's get out of here, man. There's no seats anyway. So they left. As they were leaving the tent, an usher came and put his arm around Billy and the, and the friend and said, hey, hey, guys, I'm so glad you are here. Let me show you to your seats. 
And he took Billy Graham and his friend and he sat them down in two seats that were available. That night, Billy Graham accepted Jesus. And it was the beginnings, the seed of that moment that was to multiply and was to germinate into a harvest that none could have ever imagined. But it all began. These chain of events were triggered by a Sunday school teacher who had a seed and said, I'm going to honor it, I'm going to steward it well, and I'm going to make sure that it bears fruit. It's not inspiring. Now you may say to me, hey, that's incredible, that's inspiring, but I ain't no Billy Graham. I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a single parent, I work in the bank, I'm a nurse, I work at Starbucks, you know, whatever, fill the blanks, I'm a salesman, whatever, whatever your job may be. You may say, hey, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. But I believe you do. Why? Because it is about the seed and the power that is in that seed. It is about the gospel and it is about the power that is in that gospel that changes lives. I'm going to tell you a story closer to home. But before I do that, I want to read from Matthew 25, 14 to 30. I'm going to read this passage of scripture to you guys. And I want you to just keep, that, keep this in your mind. You know, we talked about five seeds in an apple, yeah? Five seeds in an apple. Do you remember the boy who had five loaves? Five loaves and he ended up feeding probably about 15,000 when you had the women and children from five loaves. God can do a lot with a handful. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven will be like, sorry, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave them five Everyone say five. Five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to the other, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing into proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who rejoiced, uh, sorry, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Went to work as a key, key word right there. Because you see, if you don't work, nothing's going to grow. Even for someone planting a seed to make an apple tree, you've got to do something. You don't get to sit on your bum and say, hey, where's my harvest? You've got to work. But the servant who had received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. One day our master will return and he will give ask you to give an account of what you have stewarded with what he's given you. What are you going to say? Hey God, you saved me and I'm still saved. Hallelujah. I didn't fall back into sin. I didn't backslide. Praise the Lord. I went to church every Sunday. I did my Bible devotions. Praise the Lord. I'm still standing, God. Here I am, back to you. And he'll be like, okay, that's wonderful, but what did you do with this so great gift that I gave you? With all the people that were dying all around you, what did you do? Did you just bury yourself? After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Your life isn't yours. Don't make that mistake. You don't own your life. 
It was purchased at the highest price by the blood of a spotless lamb. You want to save your life? Lose it. The servant to whom he had trusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. And he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. You see, God didn't say, hey, why didn't you do so much, so much, so much more? He said, you did as much as you could do with what I gave you. Me and my friend Stephen, we were drug addicts together and we came to know Jesus within six months of each other. And we were young, fiery uh, Christian men who want to change the world for the Lord. And I decided this. I turned around to Stephen one day. I said this. I said, man, I may not be the next Billy Graham. Maybe that's not my my thing. Maybe God's not put that in me. But you know what? I'm going to run with everything I've got in my ability so that when I get to the end of the race, I know that I give it my best. And whatever that looks, if that means changing five people's lives, getting changed, well, at least I've given everything I had. Whatever amount of seeds I've been given, if I can give them back and give the multiplication that was the highest for what I've been given, then I know I've done a good job. Instead of trying to walk in somebody's shoes that maybe I just can't walk in. To say, hey, whatever I've been given, I'm going to invest as best as I can. And that's what I'm spending my life to try and do. You've been faithful in handling the small amounts and I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You see, when you invest what the small uh, seeds that God's given you, you know what happens? You don't run out because he'll just give you more. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling a small amount. Guess what? Now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Same thing. You had five. You multiplied. You had two. You multiplied. Jesus is, that's good news. That's a good day. We're celebrating. But it don't stop there. I'm going to give you some more. And now you can go and bear more fruit. Why? Because that's how we know you're a true disciple. Because it brings glory to my Father in heaven. Those who bear much fruit are my true disciples. This is not a niche work for a few superstar hybrid evangelists. Because there are no such things. This is for every man, woman and child who's been purchased by the blood of a lamb. We're called to go and bear fruit. If you're not doing it, it's wake up time. The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid of you. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it. I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. God, I was afraid. There's riots everywhere. There's there's disease. People are dying. Man, I was afraid. I didn't know what to do. I was just trying to look after my family. I was trying to earn earn a living. I was trying to put food on the table for my kids. I was just trying not to sin. I was just trying to walk this line. I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to sin. I was trying so hard to honor you. And I was scared because I didn't know what to do. So here I am. Here I am. Back to you, God. Here I go. Here you go. Here's me. But you buried yourself, son. You just buried you. I gave you 70 years on earth 
70 years that you could have invested, 70 years of seeds that you could have planted, but you didn't do it. You were too care, you were too focused on yourself. You were too focused on making sure you were okay that you didn't do the one thing I called you to do, which was to love others as I have loved you. A new commandment I give you, love one another the way I've loved you. Well, how did he love us like this? Christianity is not about burying it, people. It's not about burying it. Jesus came on earth to die. And he tells us that unless this grain of, grain of wheat falls into the sand and falls into the ground and bears, it can't bear fruit and dies, it can't bear fruit. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. We're not here to live for ourselves. We're here to live for others. That's what Christianity is. God, I want to come to you. I want to get my ticket to heaven. I want to live a nice life. I'll give my tithe every month. Family will be good. I'll raise them in a good Christian home. We'll pray grace before we eat our meals. Praise God, wonderful. But are you burying yourself when there's a world that's dying? You're the hope of the world. A young man I led to Jesus three and a half weeks after I led him to the Lord, he died. 26 years of age, I think he was. Criminal, gangster, in and out of prison. Three and a half weeks serving God. Some of you guys know the story. His name is Stuart. Three and a half weeks. And then he died. And now he's with Jesus forever. Why? Because I took a seed. And I said, here you go. This seed has the power, young man, to change your life. I can't do it. But guess what? What I'm about to share with you can turn you upside down and inside out. Lily accepted Jesus about six weeks ago. Her life was broken. You know what happened? What I shared, what me and Sonny shared with Lily had the power to change her life. You know what happened to her next door neighbor, Elizabeth? She came to Lily and said, Lily, what has happened to you? You're like, you have this aura about you. You're like, eyes are sparkling, your face is shining. What is this? She said, it's Jesus. And Lily was able to lead her next door neighbor, Lizzie, into the arms of Jesus. Why? Because she took that seed and said, I, know, I recognize that. That's the one that changed my life. Hey, I know what that can do for my next door neighbor. And we're so glad that you're both here this morning. Come on. God is good. I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. Hey, hey, I understand, man. It's okay, I understand. Like, that era you guys were living in, that was crazy. That era was crazy. It was all popping off, man. It was crazy. Riots, people dying. It was crazy stuff. I understand, okay? I, I, I don't expect as much from you in that era because things were crazy. It's okay. Relax. It's, it's all good. No. You wicked and lazy servants. These are Jesus' words, not mine. Red letters. I didn't plant, 
I harvested crops I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Why didn't you just do something? Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, say nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth. We ain't got no ticket to heaven. The Bible tells us faith without works is dead. We don't get saved through works. But if you went working, it's dead. Why? Because if you know what this did to you, how dare you sit there, know that others are dying and not invested. Faith without works is dead. How dare I sit at home every day knowing people are perishing, knowing people are in misery and one, knock, one door knock away from a life being changed. That would be lazy. How dare I? I'm just going to share this story just a little closer to home. You guys ever heard of a lady called Penny Orange? Ironic, all the talking about apples. But that was her name. You wouldn't have heard of her. But Penny Orange, about 35 years ago, went to night school. And she sat next to a lady in night school. And this lady was gone through a, a, a difficult breakup. She had two sons. Difficult breakup. The husband was a drinker, violent. And she, the, the, the lady went to night school to try and earn some qualifications to provide a job so she could get a job for her two boys now that the husband had gone. So while she was there, she met Penny Orange. Penny Orange began to just kind of be a friend to her. She began to pray for her and she prayed for her a lot. Did she pray for this lady to be healed? No. Did she give her a word of knowledge? No. Did she share the gospel? No. But she did pray for her. If you reap, if you sow a seed of prayer, you're going to reap a great harvest. So she prayed. After one year, she invited this lady to go to her church. She was the, the wife of a local pastor. She said, will you come to my church? So she came to the church. It took her four weeks to get there. You see, there is a resistor who doesn't want you to have your breakthrough. So this lady decided, yeah, she was a Catholic. She was raised in a staunch Catholic church. And she decided that, yeah, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I'm actually quite excited about it now. Why? Because when you plant a seed, it begins to germinate. Something begins to, to shift. So she decided to go. But the first week, she couldn't go to church. Why? Because on the Saturday evening, the dog ran outside the road randomly and got hit by a car and died. Week two, her son fell down the stairs. Can't go that week either. And every week something happened to try and stand in the way of this young mom going to church. But eventually she went. And when she went, the preacher stood up. And you know what he shared? He shared a picture of Jesus standing at the door, knocking on the heart 35 years ago. And you can let him in, the handle's on the inside. So this lady prayed under her breath, 
This is weird. This church, they're all clapping their hands and they're all kind of hands in the air. It's all a bit strange to me, but I feel what I feel and I want to let Jesus in. So she prayed under her breath to let Jesus in and didn't tell anybody. Went home, laying on a bed and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Began speaking in tongues by herself in her room for hours and hours. Whole presence of God illuminated her room. Her whole life was changed. Her name was Sheila McNamara. That's my mum. We had no Christianity in our family, but God broke in in that moment. I accepted Jesus because of a praying mom who prayed me in through cocaine addiction, alcoholism, through running with gangsters, living this crazy life. I had a mom who's beyond her knees praying and praying and praying. And I came to know Jesus. Come on. The power of the seed. I've lived, I've lived here less than two years. Less than two years. Two years in December. If I've played a significant role in you coming to Jesus, can you just stand for a moment, please? If you're here and I've played a significant role in you accepting Jesus, can you stand? I've been here for less than two years. I'll tell you this. Why? Because I want you to see this is Penny Orange's seed right here. It was Penny Orange's seed that prayed for my mom in a night school. We didn't know about Jesus, but she prayed. And then after prayer, she invited her along. She heard the message. I only found this out five years ago. My mom accepted Jesus through Jesus at the door. Isn't that poetic? (laughs) But it begins with a seed. And 35 years ago, some of these people right here, and others in this community. Why? Because of one lady said, I'm going to take my seed and I'm going to invest it. Thank you guys. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. So my question to you is this. What are you doing with your seed? If you've only got five, from here until December, if God gives you five seeds, what are you going to do with those five? If I come to you on our Christmas Eve service and I say, hey, how did you do with your five seeds? How did you do with your five talents? Where are we at? Did you use up all five? Because guess what? The good news is you can get a whole lot more. If not, then I implore you, fix your heart. We are the hope of this world. We don't have time to be lazy. We don't have time to sit around. We need to start investing in other people's lives. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take my seed and I'm going to give it to you. Where is it? (laughs) Here it it is. I'm going to give my seed to you right now because you may be sitting here this morning and you may not know Jesus. But I'm going to tell you this. This was created to bear fruit. The gospel is power personified. So what I'm about to share with you real briefly right now has the power to change your life. We see it all the time. All the time. Is it because we're wonderful? No, it's because he's wonderful and it's because the seed of the gospel it was, it was created, it was built, it's power in itself. All it can do is be powerful and bear fruit. That's what it does. 
So I want to tell you this real quick. I want to tell you that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. And I want you to do this right now for me. In your mind, I don't like going back to the days when I was a filthy sinner. I like to forget those days. But sometimes it's healthy. I want you to picture in your mind the worst thing that you've ever done in your whole life. Just momentarily. And I want you to know this. When you did that thing, Jesus hung on a cross and he looked into the future and he said, I see it. I see what you're going to do. Guess what? It's okay. I'm going to pay for it right now. He looked into the dirtiest, darkest places in your life and saw the things that you're so ashamed of and the things you were going to do. And he died on the cross and he said, I'm going to pay for it right now for what you're going to do wrong so that it can be forgiven. We don't deserve that. It's called grace. It's called mercy. But Jesus did that for you. A father gave his one and only son. I've got one son. His name's Elijah and I cherish him. I can't think of giving him up for somebody let alone somebody who didn't even like me. But Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So when you were living in rebellion, far from God, I don't want God, keep me away from him. That's when he said, guess what? I'm going to give my life for you because I love you so much. Now you can be a church goer. You can be somebody who prays before you go to sleep. That does not give you eternal life. And that doesn't enable you to have a relationship with Jesus. But he's here today and he says, let me in. And just like 35 years ago, when my mom answered that call and she said, I want to open that door. I want to tell you right now, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and the handle's on the inside. Do you want to let him in? Because a lot of you maybe have been praying through the door. You've been talking through the door. That ain't going to help you. You've got to open it. So he's here right now and he's saying, knock, knock, will you open? There's only one condition. It's what it is. Jesus did all that he did for you and you're asked for one thing. You're going this way without him. You're on a road of life, sorry, on a road of death eternal. Going this way. It's called a wide road. Jesus says, turn around, leave it behind. Why would you want to stay on that anyway? Leave it behind and enter the road, the narrow road that leads to life eternal. Simple as that. If I was about to walk off a cliff What kind of person would you be if you didn't warn me? Man, stop. Don't take any more steps. You're going to fall off the cliff. Well, I'm telling you right now, if you take any more steps, you will fall off the cliff. I don't know when your life's going to end. I don't know when mine's going to end. It's not scare tactics to say you could die tonight. Stuart died three and a half weeks after I led him to the Lord. I've seen other people die in their sleep. Life's not guaranteed, but what is guaranteed is the love of Jesus. While you're here with breath in your lungs, don't be like the rich man who died and said, just one drop, just give me one drop of salvation. No, it's too late. But you've got an ocean of grace right now. Do you want to jump in? There's one condition. Turn around and follow him. Accept him. I implore you, don't play around anymore. You don't have time to play around. Live for him or don't live for him. I'm not telling you to do it if you don't want it. But if you do, if your heart's aching and you're like, man, this is what I want. I just don't know about this, this, this and this. Forget that. Just focus on him. I'm going to count to three and ask you to be bold. And I'm asking you to make the greatest decision of your life. And say, Jesus, here's my heart. And let him stamp you with the seal of salvation. One, he died on the cross, bloody and beaten for you. 
Two, he rose again on the third day so that you could have new life. And three, he stands at your side right now and says, come, 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 come to me. Come to me, come to me. If you want Jesus, raise your hand in the air to heaven. So here I am, Lord. I don't know that I know you. Man, I think I've been playing around at this thing. I don't know if I've been marked by you, but I want to be marked with eternity. I want you right now. If you don't know him and you want him, I encourage you, respond, respond in this moment. I'm casting my seed right now. I'm burying my seed in this moment because I know it has the power to change your life. Do you want him? Do you want him? Raise your hand in the air. I know there's people here. I know there's a struggle in your life right now. I know you're feeling pulled one way, feeling pulled the other way. It's the greatest love that you could ever know. Don't miss it. Do you want him? Do you want him? Holy Spirit, I ask you, Lord, in this moment, I ask you to rest upon every heart, Lord. If there's, if there's nobody here, that's fine. But I feel there is. I feel there's people here and you haven't been marked with the seal of salvation. You're like, yeah, man, I pray. I go to church. But you don't know him. You close your eyes on this earth. You don't know you're going to stand before him and say, all is well with my soul. Praise God, Jesus, I'm home. You're still talking through the door. Do you want the door to be open? If you do, then open your heart in this moment. Say, Jesus, here I am. I'm going to give you a moment longer. And while these people are still thinking, I want to ask the rest of you. If you've been stirred through this talk this morning, if you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and He only convicts you because He has so much more for you. He disciplines us because He has so much more for us. And if He's stirring you to say, what are you doing with your life? You're just giving, you're burying your life. You're not living it for others. You're just burying it. And you're going to give it back to me. But I don't just want it back. I want you to invest. I, it cost me so much to give you what I've given you. Now go and do something with it. If you want to do that and you don't feel you've been doing that, then we want to pray for you. Clean slate today. Let's start again today. Let's start with our seeds today, with our talents. Let's leave this place and say, God, I want to live differently. I want to live a life that honors you. If you want that, then I ask you, come on down, we're going to pray for you. If you don't feel that, that you've been doing, uh, living that the way you, you, you want to live, then come down and we're going to pray. Just come and line up and we're going to get our ministry team, we're going to come and pray for you guys. So there's still time. If you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, then I encourage you. Come, come, come. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just pray, Lord. We pray, meet with us in this place. Meet with us. We need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. There's something I love to read. Are you okay, Tom? Got a few moments? Okay. Can I read something to you guys? What, just for those, you guys stay here. But everyone else, I just want to read something to you. Just be patient with me. I promise you, this will like blow the socks off you. It will bless you, I promise you. It blessed me. When I read this, it blessed me. Why did it bless me? Because it shows me what, as long as we honor God with that little that we have, He can blow our minds with what He can do with the little. 
what God will do with the little can blow your mind, I promise you. Be patient with me as I read this. A number of years ago in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing and a stranger stood up in the back. He raised his hand and said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch and said, you've got three minutes. And this man proceeded. He said, I just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, when I was visiting some relatives and I was walking down George Street, you know where George Street is in Sydney. It runs from the business hub out to the rocks of the colonial area. And he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out from the shop doorway and put a pamphlet in my hand and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously. And all the way back on my British Airlines flight back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in, the, in, the, in this new area where I'm living now. And thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ. And I am a Christian. And I want a fellowship here. And Baptists love testimonies like that. And everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. The Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And 10 days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came to him for counseling and he wanted to, and wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. So she said this, I used to live in Sydney and just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, enjoying some last-minute shopping down George Street. A little, strange, white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet and said, excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me and I sought out the pastor and he led me to Christ. So sir, I'm telling you that I'm a Christian. Now this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He flew then to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth, Australia. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how did you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade, never made a commitment to Jesus, just hoped on the, hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, I grew into a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago and an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and he accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you died tonight, are you going to heaven, he said. I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on the Qantas to Perth. He said, I told my pastor thinking he would sympathize with me and my pastor agreed. He'd been disturbed for years knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District and he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of this teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 in George Street years ago. Respectively, through the little man on George Street, giving us a tract and giving us the question. 
He then flew the following week to the similar Keswick Convention in the Caribbean to missionaries. He shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago through the little man's testimony and asking us the same question on George Street, Sydney. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when it's three days of reviving these Navy chaplains, uh, up to uh, of over a thousand of them in soul winning, the cha- chaplain general took him out for a meal and he said, how did you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was a rating, um, I was on a United States battleship and I lived a reprobate, a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific and we docked in Sydney Harbour for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I got blind drunk. I got on the wrong bus and got off at George Street. As I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hands and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked sober and ran back to the battleship and sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ and I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance. And here I am in charge of over a thousand chaplains and we're bent on on soul winning today. That London preacher, six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India. And on the end, at the end, the Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man, took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he said this, how did you get, how did you as a Hindu come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic mission and I traveled the world. And I'm so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and his blood covering my sin because I'd, been, I'd be very embarrassed if people found out what I'd got into. He said, one bout of diplomatic service took me to Sydney and I was doing some last minute shopping laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children walking down George Street. This little courteous little white haired man stepped out in front of me and offered me a pamphlet and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, would you go to heaven? He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town. I sought out the Hindu priest and he couldn't help me. But he gave me some advice. He said, just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else. Go and talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road. And that was fateful advice. Because the day the missionary led me to Christ, I quit Hinduism immediately and then began to study for the ministry. I left the diplomatic service and here I am, by God's grace, in charge of all these missionaries. And we're winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Eight months later, the Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney. He said to the minister there, do you know a little man, an elderly little man who used to witness and hand out tracts in George Street? And he said, I do know him, Mr. Jenner. But I don't think he's, he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat down and made them some tea. He was so frail that he was sloping, slopping the tea in the saucer as he shook. As he sat with them, the London preacher told him all of these accounts over the past three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. I was living on an Australian warship. I lived a reprobate life. And in a crisis, I hit the wall and one of my colleagues who, gave, who I gave literal hell was there to help me. He led me to Jesus and the change in my life that night 
was in, uh, and sorry, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours. And I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength. Sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it out of the times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I've done this for over 40 years. And in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got a lot of rejections and a lot of uh, people courteously took the tracks. He said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Not one. That's 146,100 people that a simple life of a non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. It's about the seed. God will blow your mind with what he will do. And maybe you won't even hear it all on this side of eternity. But would you give him your seed? Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd awaken us Awaken us to the call of God on our lives in this moment. Open our, open our eyes, open our hearts. I feel there's more of you guys need to be down here. There's more of you need to be down here. We're going to stand one day. We're going to look him in the eye. And what are we going to say? God, give me another chance, please. Give me another shot. I remember it, I had a dream and I was at a worship service leaning over a balcony. Jesus was stood next to me and I was leaning over looking into a worship service and I turned to Jesus. I said, Lord, let me go back. I'll do it better this time. He said, you can't go back, son. That was for worship. What about this? We can't go back. We get one shot. Life is not a dress rehearsal. We get one shot. What are you going to do? Holy Spirit, I pray if there's more people here right now that you draw them into this moment. In Jesus' name, draw them in, draw them in, draw them in. Open your hearts, guys. You don't need my words. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. I just encourage you, put your heart right with the Lord, however you need to. If you've, if you've not honored him in the way that you've stewarded, then you just repent and you say sorry and let him cleanse you and let him wash you clean. And begin again. As you leave this building, begin again, begin again, begin again and say, God, today is a new day. Today's a new day and I want to step out for you and I want to serve you and I don't know how I'm going to do it. Maybe I'm going to pray for this one. Maybe I'm going to share with this one. But I'm going to take the seed you've given. I'm going to take the talent you've given me and I'm going to invest them well. Holy Spirit, we can't do this without you. You're the one who stirs us. You're the mighty stirrer and the mighty shaker. So we ask you in this moment for everyone who's responded that you'd shake them, Lord, that they may see that there is work to be done. And you've called us to do it. Thank you that we all have talents, individual talents, and you're calling us to use them for your glory. So Lord, would you take what we give you, would you take what we offer? Would you take, what, would you take back what you've given us as a sacrifice? We say we give it to you. Just like David when he received that water on a thirsty day by his three brave men, he postured his heart and said, I pour it out as a sacrifice. Would you pour out your talents and your seeds as a sacrifice before God today?
We love you, Jesus. We give it all back to you this day for your glory. In Jesus' name. Just pour your hearts out to him in this moment.